there, true believers, and welcome to Simply Devotion, the podcast that is all about seeking Jesus on deeper theological levels, because he is worthy of all of our devotion. Simply Devotion, and this season we have been focusing on the historical Jesus. Back again with my infamous co-host, Dr. Martin. I don't know if you grew up watching that movie, A Christmas Story, and little Ralphie wants to get the Red Rider action uh, uh, BB gun. Yeah, I'm not as old as you, Vinny. Dude, it's only the 80s. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyways, like in, in that whole thing, he's like trying to break this code and there's like this decoder ring and and every day he's got to listen to the radio and, and pick up a clue and, and tune his decoder ring to figure out this code. And, and if you can figure out this code, you can, you, you'll be able to tell your parents what you want for Christmas or something like that. Right? So sometimes when we look at some of the cryptic things Jesus says to us, if it's the book of Revelation, if it's a parable, it's like you got to decode it a little bit, right? You got to look for the clues. Yes. Right. And so that's what we'll be doing. Um, but Jesus tells us in the Gospels about why he talks sometimes cryptically, particularly when he's talking about parables. Like, it's a fair question for people to say, why does he just spit it out? Why does he make it difficult? Well, number one, because it's cool. All right. Like, like all the wise people in every movie we've ever seen, that's how they talk. All right. Uh, you know, so it's just number one, it's just cool to do things like that. Hipster Jesus. Yes. Hipster Jesus. But but number two, uh, the disciples had the same exact question. Right. And they came to Jesus and they asked Jesus, why are you talking so cryptically? Right. And we get this description in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, to be exact. Jesus just finishes talking about a parable. Right. He told the parable of the sower. And which, just as a reminder to our audience, the parable of the sower uh, is about uh, this farmer. He goes out, he sows seeds, and the seeds fall on different types of soil. You know, some soil is not as good for producing a nice looking plant. Some soil is very good for producing a nice looking plant, right? And so Jesus tells this parable of the sower, and he kind of leaves it at that. And the disciples, they come to him in verse 10 there in, in Matthew 13. And they say, why do you speak to the people in parables? So it's the same question that you're asking, Vinny, right? Why did Jesus teach this way? Why did he use these stories? And Jesus responds in verse 11, it says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. 
Whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables, right? Uh, and then, and then he says something cryptic at the end, right? He says, "Though seeing, they do not see; though hearing, they do not hear or understand." Right? And so, when we begin to dissect Jesus's answer to the disciples, we get this idea that some people are ready for these messages. And some people are not. So Jesus, uh, he is a public figure, right? He is an itinerant speaker. And there are times where he does speak directly, right? We spent so much time on the Sermon on the Mount earlier this season. And, and Jesus is speaking very directly. But a lot of times when Jesus speaks directly, he offends people, right? Because he's breaking down their worldviews. He's breaking down their understanding of who God is and how God works. He's breaking down their understanding of what it means to be faithful and religious. Um, and so when he speaks directly and clearly, a lot of people get offended. And so I think Jesus is kind of trying to balance offending people too much where it cuts his mission short, right? But at the same time, um, still making sure that the people that are ready to hear, that are ready to understand, are able to at least have something to to work with. And Ooh. even there in, in Matthew 13, eventually Jesus unpacks the parable mm. to his disciples. Right. So, so it's not always that he's trying to be cryptic or hipster or like mysterious Jesus. Yeah. Um, but maybe there's a little inch of compassion in this. If I understand what you're saying, like some of the things Jesus needs to get out before his time is up and he's on a limited time frame. He's on his way to the cross. Is hard hitting and people may not be ready for it. And so, crouching it in these sort of really descriptive stories is kind of like a slow release capsule. Like, you, you, you know, like, like, like you get the initial dose, but it keeps sort of releasing. It's like a good sermon, a good, a, a, a really good um, narrative sermon, a really good in, inductive sermon. Um, has one meaning when you hear it, a deeper meaning, you know, over lunch, mm -hmm. in a greater meaning, you know, later that week when you're thinking about what the pastor said, if you can remember, right? Yeah. Um, right. So, so, so it's like the parables of Jesus are like releasing depth as they get dissolved. Yeah, I love, I love the illustration there of the slow slow release capsule because because it's true right when we um begin to dig into the parables right there there seems to be this superficial meaning that you know kind of everybody gets and understands but the more you dig into the parable then the more you get out of it and i think that's part of what jesus meant 
uh, when he was getting closer to the end of his time here on earth. And he says, you know, if I go, you know, I'm going to give you a helper, right? And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, and and, and the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to you all truth. Mm-hmm. And I think there's going to, there, there was this process where the disciples are even after jesus ascends into heaven they're reflecting on his teachings they're reflecting on his parables and then all of a sudden things start clicking and they start saying oh yeah that makes sense that makes sense that makes sense right and so um definitely it is this kind of slow releasing uh capsule right as we reflect on it as we continue to dissect it it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah, I, I think, John, that's what I really love about the parables of Jesus. You know, it's not that they're mysterious. And at first we, you, you know, and again, it, it's sort of the same thing. It's, it's not that it's mysterious. It's that it's deep. Mm-hmm. And what is deep cannot be said in simplistic language. Mm-hmm. What yes. is deep has to be told in layers of narrative that dissolve as people grow into their understanding yes and i think what you're saying there is exactly what a parable is intended to do uh when you look at the word parable right let's talk a little bit about about what is a parable all right um because when you look at what the word parable means it comes from the greek word parabole right and and parabole uh, is composed of two separate greek words para and balo right and so the word para means with or alongside okay and balo means to cast or to toss right or to throw oh yes uh, yes i so, remember yes so the word Parabole means to cast alongside. All right. And so then the question is, well, what are you casting along? You're casting alongside what? Right. And you have this idea of a fundamental truth. And a lot of times when Jesus told parables, he would say something like, the kingdom of God is like. Right. And then he would tell a parable. Right. So there's this fundamental truth of what the kingdom of God is like. Right. But because it is so complex, because it is maybe a little bit difficult to understand, he's going to use a story or he's going to use some sort of illustration from real life to help us understand that fundamental truth. So a parable is a story that you cast alongside a fundamental truth. And when we hear the story, when we study the story, then we begin to understand what that fundamental truth that Jesus is trying to communicate. So just like the word parable is made up of two other words, the concept of parable is made up of a fundamental truth Mm -hmm. and a story. And it's the interaction of that fundamental truth and that story that come together to become the parable. Yes. And, you know, Vinny, you and I are are preachers, right? And when we when we begin to put uh, sermons together, right? What is the one thing that all preachers 
need illustrations, illustrations right? <laughs> we need illustrations. Why do we need illustrations? Because illustrations are a way to communicate a fundamental truth, right? Some important thought, important detail. And we tell a story so that it can literally fall on the listener's ears and then they go, oh yes, I get it. Because a lot of people can just explain, 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 but if it's a complex truth or if it's a truth that people haven't heard before, right, or haven't understood it in a certain way, then you need that illustration to bring the point home. And so parables are like illustrations that a preacher would use to drive home a an important point. And actually, in all four Gospels, somebody at some point pops up and says, and Jesus spoke with authority mm. uh, or Jesus spoke in a way that were unlike the other teachers. Like He mm-hmm. spoke with authority that was unlike them. Mm-hmm. So this combining of a piece of truth to a story is a way not only to have a capsule-like truth that dissolves and gets deeper, but a fundamentally hard piece of truth to be argued against because you have the truth itself mm-hmm. and then you have the story sort of like testifying of the truth, right? Right. Like, this, so, so, so the parable of the lost sheep, you know, the truth is God loves even the lost. And the story is so compelling that the shepherd would leave 99 to go get another. It's the interlocking of these two things. Like, yeah, we, we all want to root for that underdog sheep that, that's about to fall off the cliff someplace. And then we hear this heart-wrenching story of this, this shepherd who would leave everyone else to go get the one that needs help. And it's the interlocking of those two ideas that really give the the punch of the authority. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, Vinny, what you're saying is that a parable not only helps us understand the truth, but it also validates the truth, right? It makes the truth true. Yeah. When we hear that story, we're like, aha. So it's not just this philosophical argument, right? It actually works. Right, right. In, it, in it, real it, life. Right. What I'm saying is it anchors it in your mind. And that's exactly why I use stories when I preach, even if I'm preaching deductively. I mean, if you preach inductively, you always are using a story. But if you're preaching deductively, um, I'm still going to be using stories to anchor my points to stories because of that exact reason. Which leads me to my next question for you, John, and this is really uh, going to come down to the test of your honesty here. You know, we're going to test your integrity with this question. Are, are all of the sermon illustrations, all of the story illustrations you tell in your sermons always truthful stories that actually you know for certain happened or happened to you? Or are any of them ever imaginary stories that you made up to fit with the text to bring home that point? Yes, I've done both, right? I've, you know, I look for stories that are true, right? And and 
I'll be honest, true stories are compelling stories, especially if you can verify that they are true, right? So whether that be reading some sort of online article, you know, a news article or something like that, you know, those are, are awesome stories, you know, because they're they're true stories. And because they're true, I, I think it gives it a little bit more meaning, right? But no, I've also just told stories and usually my language will indicate to the audience whether it's a true story or not you know um you know i'll say something like you know um i heard a story right uh or a story is told or you know your language is you, you know you might indicate to your audience whether you're you're saying something that's 100 true or not usually if it's true i'm like hey there's this news article that i read right or i came across this story you know um about this person who lives in you know so especially when i'm preaching to children you know a lot of times i'll make up a story right mm -hmm. i'll i'll literally write a, a fictitious story because they're used to fiction already that's literally their their entire really that's how we teach children right? right so we tell them stories and so i'll write up a story about a, a boy or, or a little girl and something that they're doing um that can that they can relate to exactly and, and that's kind of the point i i i've been known to say uh, i heard in a tiktok story time <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes it's true you know right. and and it comes down to at the end of the day it's about the truth behind the story and not necessarily the story um that's the reason i'm bringing it up like so because it is a question that will get asked when i'm teaching on parables i don't know if you've been asked the question mm. You know, God cannot lie. <laughs> so apparently God cannot lie. Okay, that's in the Bible. We're all going to come to that. But are all of these stories that Jesus told in these parables, real stories that really happened? Um, you know, there are some really fundamentalist Christians out there who are strongly opposed to fiction. Like, as if fiction is like you know, the stuff of magic or fairy tales. Right. Um, but Jesus is using fiction in some of these parables, wouldn't you say? I would say that he is, yeah. Uh, you know, there are definitely some that I would look at and say, eh, this, this is probably not a true uh, story. Because, um, right, because as you were saying, the point of the parable, the point of the interlocking of the, of the core of the truth and the story is to illustrate each other and to build a synergy that goes together for that slow releasing capsule mm -hmm. right so it's not the story is to make an emotional impact or an intellectual anchor it doesn't matter if the story is fictional or a true story like you know i don't know if there was really a man who went in search for the perfect pearl, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's such a 
arbitrary thing to talk about, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, there was this man, he went and searched for the perfect, I, you know, in, I could say there was this man. He went in search of the perfect copy of Amazing Fantasy 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man. And I would know that's a true parable because I would be that man. Uh, I, and I have. And I, I've looked at some beautiful copies of that, right? But So right. It's, not, it's not the point if, if there was really a merchant who went looking for the perfect, you know, pearl. The issue is that we all as humans are looking for something. Right. Right? Yes. And I'm bringing that up just simply because the question will be asked and our listeners will probably, if they could be interacting with us right now, asking, are these all these stories that Jesus told in parables true stories? Like, were there really, you know, this guy who who dared to ask his dad for his inheritance ahead of time, you know, mm-hmm. was, you, you know, was was there really these virgins that were waiting at midnight, this group of virgins waiting at midnight for the bridegroom to come? Right. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I believe that's a fictitious story Jesus is using mm-hmm. to tell the truth about waiting for his second return i mean right uh, i'm gonna give you room to push back on that if you really think there were 10 virgins waiting for one bridegroom but 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 i'm just trying to unlock this component of of parables yeah i i think i think you're absolutely right and i think uh sometimes um it's kind of lost on us because we are so separated by the times and the culture that Jesus lived and taught in that sometimes we we forget that if we were a person living in that day and age listening to Jesus there are some things that we would totally get is fiction right or is true because we live in that time I mean for example, if I were to, you know, be preaching a a Christmas story on uh, like a, a Christmas sermon, a, a message on the underdogs of the Christmas story, right? You know, and I and and it's awesome, right? Because you look at Mary and she's an underdog, and you look at the shepherds and they're underdogs, and and yet they're lifted to a high place. And it's a, it's just a great sermon. Okay, now if I were to you know, teach that message. And then all of a sudden I start using an illustration about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Okay. To illustrate that message, everybody in that audience is going to know that that is a fictitious story that's proving a point, a true so, point. So, right? so a fictitious story can prove or, or anchor or emotionally resonate Right. And it's not necessarily and it's not necessarily because I'm trying to deceive them. But, you know, you know, it's not necessarily that I want them to think that there is, you know, a North Pole and and a reindeer with a, a nose that glows red. Right. Like like I'm not telling that story because that's what I want them to believe. I'm telling them that story because of the interactions. He's between, an yeah, he's the underdog. Right. The it's an underdog story. We all know. Exactly. Right. And and honestly, I don't even have to really <laughs> unpack that story. All I have to do is reference it and people will right. get it. Right. 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 Because because in our world today. Right. In our world today, people are able 
to know because of our culture, because of of the times that we live in, people know. And and these fictitious stories sometimes can be outrageous. Um, yeah. So an example of an outrageous parable is the parable of the shrewd manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I. The reason I'm bringing this one up is, is twofold. I have an elder whenever I preach on this or teach on this. Uh, she She's just so upset about this parable. Okay. Because <laughs> it's like, this is wrong. How could Jesus be, be telling a story about something that's wrong for someone to do and making a truthful point from it, right? Mm. But I think, again, when I preach sermons, sometimes I tell outrageous stories yes for the impact of the story not because i'm embracing the content of the story right right so in the shrewd parable there was a rich man whose manager was accused of, of wasting his possession so he called in and he asked them what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is going to take away my job and I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. When I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So mm-hmm. he called off his master's debtors and he 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 asked the first, how much do you owe the master? Oh, 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. And the manager told, quick, quick, give me your bill. Sit down quickly and, and I will make it only 450. And then to the second, he said, uh, how much do you owe my master? Uh, a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. And he told him, quick, quick, give me your bill and I will only make it 800. And the master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly, right? For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings, right? So whenever I talk about this parable, there's people who go insane. It's like, is, is, is Jesus endorsing this unethical behavior? Like, this is insider trading. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're right, right? Um, but let's not forget that Jesus is a master at using hyperbole mm-hmm. to come on now, yeah. get his point across, right? Right. Uh, we spent some time earlier this season again going back to the Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, if you understand the points in the Sermon on the Mount, you will understand the teachings of Jesus, right? Like, mm-hmm. like because mm-hmm. the Sermon on the Mount are going it's to everything. be it, it's it's everything that Jesus taught. It's a summary. All right, it's Jesus's magnum opus. Um, so if you understand the points in the Sermon on the Mount, then you will be able to understand his parables, or at least you'll have a starting point to begin unpacking those parables. Um, but 
Jesus famously said, right? You know, if your eye causes you to sin, right? It's better for you to pluck it out, right? Uh, and go into heaven with one eye than, than to go to hell with two eyes, right? Like Jesus is not really wanting people to pluck their eyes out, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's using hyperbole because when we have these extreme examples, right? Um, the point comes across more clearly. And, and I think um, when Jesus is telling that story, right, of the, of the shrewd manager, right, he's not saying, hey, cheat your bosses out of their money, okay? What he's saying is, look, if you can be that conniving and you can be using those kinds of strategies right here on earth, how much more should we be using that same type of critical thinking and same type of creativity? Um, yeah, creativity. That's a great word of, of, of using that, right? Why can't we use that same type of creativity when it comes to the things of God? He, he, he's tapping into a universal thing, okay? And, and I think that's a core in, in the making of a great parable. Everybody universally is a little bit creatively selfish when it comes to perseverance and looking after your own hide, right? Mm -hmm. in, in, in basically what I hear Jesus saying is, you know how to be shrewd. You know how to cheat. I know you do. I see you doing it. You cheat all the time in business. <laughs> Which one of you really are honest on your tax return? You know, that's a, if I was right. You know, you know the loopholes. You know how to get around things. Isn't it interesting that you can do it for your personal wealth, but not when it comes to propagating the truth of the light? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. He's like, you're going to put you, nobody, right? Given the same circumstances, everybody's going to do everything they possibly can so that they can come out on top, right? If you're going to do that in the world, right? Why wouldn't you do that when it comes to relationship with God, right? Or, or how you live out your religion or how you live out your spirituality, right? Use the same creativity, Use you the can, same yeah. critical thinking skills, right? Yeah. Figure it out. You can be cat. You can be aggressive. You, 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 you can be hungry. You can chase what you want when it's worldly. Mm. But when it comes to expanding my kingdom, suddenly you're docile, lazy, and tired, and not thinking outside of the box at all. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like when Jesus says, you know, being wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. Right. 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 Like well, what? Jesus wants me to be a snake. Right. Well, you know what? Sometimes evil people have great qualities, which is what makes them so good at what they do. Right. Now, imagine if you take that energy and put it towards something good. Wise as serpents right stuff. and looking at luke's parable of the the shrewd business manager and, and looking at it you have to also like this is what i love about parables this is why i picked this one out of seemingly no place because it it, it really brings out what you already said john 
it's a fictitious story, most likely, that's universal, that we all can relate to being selfish. Um, it's locked in truth. The, the, the truth is that we should do everything we can to help the kingdom of God expand. Okay? It puts those two capsules together. And it's that slow release we've been talking about, right? So when I go away from this parable, and I love every time I teach on it, I have an elder or a church member gets upset by it. I just love that. And I never pull back from that. I want them to be upset because that's part of the slow dissolve. And when you go back and you look at it, the rich owner isn't going to get any of his return back. Because his lazy manager has not done anything. <laughs> so he's going to get zero dollars back on his investment. <laughs> right? So he tells the dude, you're going to get fired. And then the dude is like, it's really a parable about mercy. Hmm. I can't get back everything my boss is owed. Because I didn't do what he called me to do. But I wonder if the little bit I could give back would unlock my rich ruler's mercy on me, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's 900 gallons of olive oil that the master is owed, but he's going to get back 450 which he was not going to get back a minute ago right, yeah. <laughs> right? yes it was a thousand bushels of wheat the master was owed but suddenly now he's going to get back 800 which he wasn't going to get a minute ago right, right. And, right. and so when the master looks at this it's not that the master is embracing corruption the master is like you get it. You get it. You, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to return everything to me that you could have. I'm going to reward you because you tried. You did something. You know, and this fits really nice with the parable of the talents of Matthew uh, 25. Mm -hmm. um, but anyways, like, I, I just love this parable because it really brings out everything you have said so far. When you read it, the first time you're like, what? No, this is, this is outrageous. Mm -hmm. When you stop and you think about it, it's a, it's a parable, not about cheating and corruption, but compassion and forgiveness right? and in embracing the kingdom. And it's even a parable to tell us it's never too late. Even if God called you early and even if you squandered his resources. Yeah. It's really never too late to get in the business of the kingdom of God. And and he might still call you shrewd. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. And, and this right here is, is the power of parables. Right. Jesus, maybe Jesus could have taught the same point using a more ethical character, right? Mm -hmm. But the fact that he didn't, causes us to obsess over this story just like your he wants elders, to slap you right? <laughs> he wants you to wake up <laughs> your elders began obsessing over this story and were it not for obsessing over it they wouldn't have gotten as much out of it 
Exactly. It's the same with the, the, the parable of the prodigal son, as we call him, right? Yeah. You, you're, you're supposed to be pulling your hair out saying, this is wrong. <laughs> right. And, and, and it's true, right? It's, it's true. Jesus uses hyperbole all the time because it's the best way to make your point because it causes people to stop it causes people to obsess and it causes people to reflect right it's it's literally a masterful way of getting your teachings across and of course Jesus is Jesus. He's the master teacher. Jesus has got like this incredible sense of humor and this incredible personality that we whitewash away so much. It's like, I, even though John really doesn't get into parables, and we'll talk about that in a minute, you know, when, when, when Nicodemus and Jesus are talking that late night and Nicodemus is like, what do you expect me to do? Crawl up inside my mom and be born again? She's like, yep. Yep. That's exactly what I expect. <laughs> Unless you're going to do that. You're not getting into the kingdom of God. Like, obviously, that's hyperbole and hyperbole met with absurdity to provoke him to be like, what? (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. And so the point of the parables is not whether they're true or not. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a fallacy where people try to build a doctrine on a parable. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't build doctrines on the details of a parable. Right. But use the parable to impact the truth behind it. Right. What is the main point that Jesus is trying to communicate with this parable? That's the truth that Jesus wants you to capture. That's what you base your doctrine on. Right. You base your doctrine on the message that the parable is trying to communicate. You don't base it on the details of the parable. Right. And and so the mustard seed is not the smallest seed in the world. (laughs) Jesus lied. It's the smallest seed they probably knew of. Yeah. Right. And in, in, in that culture, in that time, Jesus is literally using the best example that he had at his disposal. Right. It's not about if the parable is true. It's not about if the details of the parable are true. Mm-hmm. It's about if the locking of the eternal truth with the story creates that seal that creates the time capsule that slowly dissolves in time. In the same way that we can get fixated on the morality of the shrewd manager, I've seen people fixate on, but Jesus said it's the smallest seed. And then they, they go to some absurd conspiracies to try to make it the smallest seed. Or <laughs> or atheists were like, see, Jesus doesn't understand agriculture, you know. <laughs> but, okay, but even, even if, even if Jesus knew everything about botany. Right. All right. Why would he point to some random seed that is technically smaller and the people have no idea what that seed is, right? right. He's, he's using a, an illustration that the people he's talking to would understand. Now, if Jesus was talking to 21st century biologists, okay, he might not have used mustard seed. And so part of what Jesus 
uses to tell his parables is also based in the reality of his hearers. The point is, just as you're saying, a mustard seed is small. It creates a big plant mm-hmm. that people have to cut down and that birds can live in. And mm-hmm. right, and he's saying like, if you have even a small amount of faith. Right? You can build this great big thing that not only can be flavorful to your life and to the life of others, but it can actually sustain life for other beings, other creatures, right? It can actually become a habitat, a home for other people. So, so the point of a parable is to lock a story that will intellectually or emotionally resonate with us into an eternal truth that can dissolve with that story into a way that is interesting and fascinating to think about no matter how many times you read it, hear it, or preach it, right? And the fact that the businessman is shrewd and unethical actually provides texture to come back to the story with in the fact that the mustard seed is not the smallest seed on the planet actually is another provoking thing that Jesus does, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to make you come back to the story mm-hmm. and think about its meaning deeper and deeper. And when parables are understood, in my opinion, John, correctly, that's what they do. They bring you back because of the hybrid of truth and fiction. They bring you back to look at it from multiple different angles. Yes. And I think, now I'm interested to hear what you think. I think it's why we don't find a lot of parables in the Gospel of John, but mostly in Mark and Matthew and some in Luke. I think most are in Mark and Matthew, but some are in Luke, but very little in John or any, depending on who you want to talk to. Mm-hmm. Because I think in John, Jesus talks a lot more on point directly mm-hmm. because he's talking into relationships, mm-hmm. existing relationships and building relationships, as opposed to, I think the parables are used more when he's preaching to larger groups of people who may be at different levels of understanding, which maybe has application to us. Because when we are having a one-on-one conversation, we know exactly where that person is or isn't spiritually because of our relationship with them. And we can speak right to where they're at. In fact, when I was studying social work, you know, that's the big thing you would hear over and over. Start where the client's at. Find where the client's at. Start where the client. But but when I'm preaching or teaching to a crowd, I can't know where everybody's at. And everybody won't be at that same place. So in John, Jesus is dealing with one-on-one relationships to a large extent. And he does, you know, again, people will debate if what he's doing in the latter parts of John, when he's talking with the vine and the branches, if that's a parable or not. Um, It's definitely an illustration. But then he's also talking to groups when he's saying that. So I think parables are most effective in group settings. 
where people are on different levels of spirituality and can take the story and unwrap it for years to come. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, if I'm doing pastoral counseling and talking to someone one-on-one, I can just say, hey, no, this 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 uh, relationship you're in is toxic. You need to dump this person or you, you need to consider if you should really be living in this way with this person if this is bringing glory to God, right? Like, so those are different sort of elements um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, again, it's a testimony to Jesus being a master teacher. He knows his audience, mm-hmm. and he's going to use the method that best fits the audience that he is speaking to in that moment. And and you're absolutely right. It makes perfect sense. When you're speaking to large crowds of people, you're going to use parables, these illustrations that you cast alongside these fundamental truths. Because when people listen to that story, right, there's the outer layer, right, that's easy to understand. But then as you reflect on them, especially if they're these outrageous examples, as you reflect on them, as you obsess over them, then you start getting deeper and deeper into the meaning of what Jesus was really trying to get at. And that's where things get exciting. That's where things get fun. I I love this phrase that, that, that we're developing the outrageousness of the parables of Jesus, Mm -hmm. because many of his stories he tells, if we break them down are quite outrageous. Um, Some of them are also very common. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, you know, the parable of the sower. I mean, like, who in our agricultural society doesn't know about, you know, not throwing your seed into the rocks or mm-hmm. into the weeds or, you know, right along the path where it's going to get trapped? Like, like that. That's that's a very common thing. And so sometimes, like, like my parable teacher um, in my master's degree, you, you know, he would try to make the point that these are things that everybody in Jesus' time knew. They're, they're tied to agriculture, they're tied, you know, sheep, you know, tied to shepherding, like, and I think that's true, but I I think the outrageousness is still in every parable Jesus tells, because yes, he's saying something very common about throwing the seed, but the point he's making about the seed being thrown is outrageous, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? If you if you waste the seed, if you put it in the wrong place, <laughs> you know, destruction, mm-hmm. right? He's still, you, you, you know, yes, uh, everyone cares about your sheep and you don't want to lose any of your sheep, but the fact that you would leave 99 to go get one is still outrageous. So I love the idea that even in common benign things jesus finds a way to emotionally resonate us to Mm -hmm. look deeper at the story Mm -hmm. deeper at the story and and deeper at at the truth because at the end of the day jesus didn't come to confirm what everybody thought already he came to push people to new places as far as their relationship with god was concerned and for a lot of people, that in itself is outrageous. Well, you know, it's my favorite part of preaching. If you think I'm an effective preacher or you don't, is is a matter of personal taste and preference. But the people who think I'm an effective preacher, 
the reason they think I'm an effective preacher is that I push the sermon to new places that they haven't thought or heard of before. You start telling a familiar story and people are finishing the sermon in their head before you even got your introduction out of your mouth. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's the living word of God. I think that's the rote memory of scripture. The living word of God is different and deeper and more moving every time you speak it, teach it, or expatiate it, right? Because it's so much deeper than in, in confirmation bias, I think is what Jesus is trying to destroy with parables. Yes. You know, we love confirmation bias. You know, I, I've had people, maybe you have too, John, who've done me and say, that's not the way that sermon's supposed to go. We've heard that sermon preached by by so many pastors, and, and, and this is the way it's supposed to go. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm sorry that people keep preaching to you the same sermon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's not the way the Bible works, right? Yep. No, if... if read properly, studied properly, it takes us to newer and newer depths. You know, a lot of people, as you said, are perfectly happy staying at this shallow space, Mm. right? They're perfectly happy listening to the sermons that they've heard before. They find comfort in the common understandings of these scriptures, superficial understandings of these scriptures. And yet, when we look at Jesus and the way he uses parables, he's literally challenging all of us. He's pushing all of us to go deeper. And if you're not getting excited about the new and wonderful things that you are unpacking as you go deeper, then then I'm sorry, but you're you're kind of selling yourself short when it comes to the teachings of Jesus. Right, right. The parables are a big part of the teaching of Jesus, not because he's mysterious, not because he's cryptic, not because he's a sage, not because, you know, Certain things are Gnostic and, you know, hmm. you, you, you have to, you know, arrive. Mm-hmm. But because to a large point, he's smashing confirmation bias. Yeah. You know, he's dismantling this idea that you think you know who I am. Because the biggest problem in thinking you know who Jesus is, is you stop getting to know Jesus. I mean, I know some things about Jesus, some things that don't change. But if I was to think that I knew all there was to know about Jesus, I love the end of John, right? All these things and many more uh, were not even written down because if they were, they, the world would not be large enough to contain the books of all the things Jesus did, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the point of the parables is we can't write it all down. (laughs) Right? We, we, you you can't get a, you you have to struggle, you have to unlock, you have to grow, 
right? It, there is no confirmation bias. Yes, we know he's the living son of God. Yes, we know he died for our sins. Yes, we know he's co-eternal uh, with the father and co-equal with the father. Yes, those basics we know, but the depths of who Jesus is are found in shocking things like the shrewd manager, right? They are found in shocking things like go ahead and pluck your eye out. Like, like, mm -hmm. like, like, Jesus is a provoker. Yes. And that is what he is doing in the parables. And I hate that 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 we sometimes miss that because we would rather just hear the prodigal son the same way the prodigal son has always been preached. Mm -hmm. Than to be provoked by. Yes. The fact that it's not about the son at all, but about the father. Yes. And, and, and it goes back to this idea of change, right? We will not be changed unless we're provoked, mm. right? Change only happens when we're provoked. And so if we stay in the same place that we've always been, there's no change. Right. But when we're provoked, by the message when we're provoked by the story that's when change happens right so my my professor when i took a class on parables at seminary um robert m johnson wrote was a co-author in this book called they also taught in parables right mm -hmm. and so his his the core of this book um, which people can find on Amazon. It's probably out of print, but you, you can look for it and buy a used version. Robert won't get any money, but that's not the point. Mm -hmm. um, they also taught in parables by uh, Robert M. Johnson and Harvey M. Uh, MacArthur. The, the whole point is a lot of times Jesus was perhaps preaching other people's parables mm. and changing the ending on them. <laughs> Wait, so you're saying that Jesus was a plagiarist? <laughs> well, he can't be a plagiarist because he didn't write anything down. <laughs> I mean, I literally ran into that with an atheist on TikTok one day. He's like, if if Jesus was really a prophet, why didn't he write anything down? And I was like, well, that would have been pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, so, so the parable of, of Lazarus, was a well-known parable or we believe it was a well-known parable mm. not necessarily an actual truth in terms of like there was a man who lived in abraham's chest yeah. <laughs> i mean this probably is a fictional story <laughs> right right yes yeah for our listeners you know why don't you quickly yeah. unpack that story for for them because we may have some listeners that that don't fully remember what the story of the rich man and Lazarus is right right and it's a it's a really good example of what we're talking about here right um so we find it in Luke 16 again Luke 16 is Luke's uh, parable chapter I guess there was a rich man who was dressed in purple linen and he lived in every lux he lived in luxury every day uh his gate at his gate laid a beggar named lazarus 
Lazarus, not Lazarus, but that's important to what's going on here. My interpretation of this parable. Um, covered with sores, longing to eat for what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked this man's sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him inside Abraham's bosom, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like so we're not supposed to, I think, believe that when you die, you get carried inside of Abraham's chest. But that is what right. this parable says, right? Right. I mean, who wants to die and see, as great as Abraham was, <laughs> right? Who, who wants to die and lay their head down on Abraham's chest, right? That's not... <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> Go ahead. The rich man also died and was buried. And he went to Hades, which is the abode of the dead, mm-hmm. uh, where he was tormented. And he looked up and he saw Abraham from afar. And Lazarus was in his bosom. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and to cool my tongue because the agony of the fire I am in. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here. You are in agony. And besides all this between us and this great chasm that has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from us to there. He answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will also not come to this place of torment. Now listen to what Abraham replies. Abraham, who's also dead, and I don't know whose chest he's in. Um, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So a common parable, not necessarily about Lazarus, but a common parable was that when you died, you went to Abraham's chest mm-hmm. um, and other people went to Hades, which just means the abode of the dead. If this means what Christians came to know as L or not is a different thing. But this is basically a story. It's telling a story. The irony here is it's about a man named what? Lazarus. Not Lazarus. Lazarus. Pretty close though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, I don't want to do any translate uh, transliteration work, but I don't know how close it would be in Aramaic or Greek. But it's a pretty close name. But so Jesus takes a story about a rich man and a beggar, and one going to a good place and one going to a bad place. And in the in the traditional telling of this parable by by the Pharisees, 
you could not switch places, but you could go back and warn the family. <laughs> and Je- Jesus changes the ending. And he says, no, because if they won't listen to Moses. They won't listen to someone who rises from the dead. Mm-hmm. He just rose Lazarus two chapters ago, or sorry, several chapters ago, mm-hmm. actually in the book of John in 11. And they didn't believe and they plotted to kill him because they plotted to kill Jesus and Lazarus because he rose him from the dead. Furthermore, Jesus will rise from the dead. Right. <laughs> and they won't believe him either, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so what this is a classic example of what Jesus did with parables. He would he would take and probably more than parables, probably sermons too. He would mm-hmm. take their sermon, take their parable, take their story. And switch it up. Right. And provoke. Exactly. It's the provocation, Mm -hmm. right? It's the provocation that is imperative to Jesus' storytelling, right? So all of a sudden people are like, yeah, I know this story. Yeah. Yep. But wait, wait till you wait to see what happens. Wait, wait, wait. Jesus changing it up on us? Wait, wait. That's not how it's supposed to go. That's not how it's supposed to. What? Right. So Jesus is challenging their worldview through this story, not only by taking a common story and changing the ending of that story, but he's also taking their worldview as to how God considers rich people and poor people. Right. Mm. They believed, right, because of a literalistic interpretation of the covenant blessings and curses. Right. They believe that if you were blessed by God, you'd be rich, you know, and and your life would be smooth and easy. But if you weren't blessed by God, right, then you'd be poor and your life would be a terrible life worth living. Right. And and yet Jesus is turning that thought on its head through this story. Again, he is provoking people and he's saying, look, everything you've ever thought about how God blesses people is wrong. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's just that's just another layer to that. In a di- not to mention the layer that you mentioned, right, about people coming back from the dead, right? Because literally, Lazarus is is a a living testimony to who Jesus <laughs> yeah. is, right? And Jesus is saying, look, look, if you're not willing to listen uh, to Moses, who by the way is dead. And in a sense, speaks from the dead through his his writings. Right? Uh, you know, if you're not willing to listen, to, it doesn't matter what dead person, right? And he's foreshadowing his own death and the testimony that his resurrection uh, will give about himself, right? So there's so many layers, as we've said earlier in this episode, right? The more we think about what Jesus is saying here, the more we realize he's packed so much into this one story and and there's a lot of different angles that you could preach this in or teach this in um and and really or meditate on this in. or or yeah just chew on it for a little bit and and right. think about it and it wouldn't have happened if jesus wasn't provocative right so sometimes he tells a real story sometimes he tells a common occurrence that everyone would know Sometimes he tells a fictitious story. Sometimes he tells somebody else's story. 
and messes with it, right? Um, and that's Robert Johnson's uh, point in They Also Taught in Parables. And you, any our listeners could get this book and look. Um, and it's, it gets, as, as the book points out, it gets difficult to know because the rabbinical midrash was oral and didn't get written down till after Jesus died. So it gets difficult to know. We know that they told the same, often the parables Jesus told were told by other Pharisees. We, we just don't know if they started telling them after Jesus or if Jesus was telling them because they told them because of the dating of the writing of them down, you know, mm -hmm. oral traditions versus written tradition. So it gets difficult, but the point of the book is they're going to do that hard work and help you figure it out. Yeah. But to stop and think about what he's doing with these stories, if they're common stories in his time, there's only so much we can fit into this episode, but the prodigal son again, right? Yeah. That, that the probably the most famous parable, right? Mm -hmm. Probably he, he stole that or borrowed that from another rabbi. And if he didn't, then it's probably a common story that's told. But the ending probably is the elder brother rightfully murdered the younger brother. Because hmm. that's what cultural expectation would have been because you are required by Torah to honor your mother and father, yeah. not to humiliate them, embarrass them, or demand wealth from them before they die. In that culture, the story would have been very, very different. And again, Jesus is being provocative, outrageous. Mm -hmm. in demanding that that elder brother love the younger brother like the father did. Mm -hmm. Because Near Eastern culture would have demanded vengeance. Yeah. Yeah. The death of that disrespectful, dishonorable son. Right? He would have, he would have been stoned even before he got home. <laughs> But yet we find the father sitting and waiting for him. Waiting for him and running towards him, right? When when he sees him from a far distance, right? Which again is something that a, a father never would have done, much to any son, much less a, a son who dishonored him. Like it's it's it's, it's so he, he, he girds his loins and runs after him, right? The expectation would have been that son running towards him, right? But he's running after his son. Probably it's literally the fifth him. commandment of the Decalogue mm -hmm. <laughs> to, yeah. to not dishonor your father. And this is what this guy did. And the father loves him despite that. And the father's disappointed in the elder son for not loving him. Like this is mm -hmm. like, we miss that. We yeah. miss that in this culture. And I think there are lots of things we could talk about and we're going to run out of time here, but all these points we're making are to point out how outrageous the storytelling of Jesus is mm -hmm. on purpose. Yes. My, my final question is, uh, John, what's your favorite parable? 
I knew you were going to ask me this, and I've been trying to, you know, think about what my favorite parable is. And there's really a lot of them because there's so many that that are just awesome. But if I had to choose, and this will probably sound cliche, but if I had to choose, it would be the the parable of the Good Samaritan. Like I resonate with that parable so much, right? It is a parable that I choose to reflect on and think about constantly over and over and over again, because it's provocative, right? I mean, it's probably one of the most provocative stories that Jesus told, but it challenges me personally to think about what does it mean to love my neighbor and at the end of the day right jesus's most important commandments right is is uh to love god and to love your neighbor and jesus specifically told this parable to answer the question well who is my neighbor and when you begin to unpack this parable, and again, we don't have the time to do that here. But when you begin to unpack this parable, my neighbor is my worst enemy. Hmm. Hmm. And Jesus calls me to love my worst enemy. It's a great parable. It, it is. I, I just, I love it. I love the parable. And if I were a Jewish person living in the first century in ancient Palestine, I would probably hated the parable. <laughs> I probably would have hated the parable. Did it cause you to a high order? Because, yeah, it, 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 it would be calling me to something that I just was taught my entire life not to believe. Um, and yet that's what parables do, right? And if Jesus were to tell this story today, and I've had thought experiments on this as well, like what, who would have been the characters if Jesus would have taught this story today? Careful preacher. Um, but I'm just going to leave it at this. Jesus is calling me to love my worst enemy. Right. And and it, that is that is provocative because it goes against everything in my human nature. And yet Jesus says, I want you to love like the heavenly father loves. And and, and so for me personally, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is more than just being kind and helpful. It goes, which is that superficial level, right? that so many people preach this on you know be kind be helpful you know if you see somebody in need reach out to them and help them yes all of that is true that's all in the parable but the, when you go deeper you realize that jesus is calling you to do that and more as you love your worst enemy You have been listening to a podcast produced by simplyvinny.com. Stop by our website, read our blog, 
Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and all that jazzy promotional stuff. But remember, I'm the podcaster that likes to remind you when life throws a monkey wrench at your head. Jesus is still the logo, the reason, the logic, the word that builds your life back all the way to the kingdom of God. Until next time, God will be blessing you. See you at the next podcast.